Hello, 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 and welcome to Shanahan on Literacy, the site where we believe there is nothing nobler than to teach somebody to read. My name's Tim Shanahan. I'll be your host today. I received a letter in the last few weeks from a teacher who says, I'm working through my state's literacy plan. There are several instructional practices that get the thumbs down here as being not in alignment with evidence-based instruction. The list is long and includes guided reading, leveled readers, and formal reading inventories. I'm curious what your take on those practices is. So, this uh, episode is about my state is banning instructional practices, and what do you think? Or uh, perhaps how to look like you're teaching effectively, even if you're not, uh, which is what I think a lot of these kinds of bans are really about. Well, let's let's get an answer for this uh, uh, teacher's question. Well, first, thanks for sharing. The list that you sent to me was long, and I agree with your state on some of the items. Uh, three queuing, miscue analysis, balanced literacy, whatever that is. But I suspect those who are calling the shots are reacting more to social media buzzwords than to any real knowledge about classroom teaching or reading research, so it would be worth digging in on these items a little bit. Let's just explore those three examples that you highlighted above. Guided reading, leveled readers, informal reading inventories. Should those really be banned or seriously discouraged by state education departments? I get that everybody wants to be cool, but banning practices because the Twitterverse doesn't seem to like them is a dopey way to make policy. What's the problem with guided reading? Well, I suspect this one is at least in part a definitional issue. Uh, perhaps it's more of a complaint with Irene Faunus and Gay Sue Pinnell's use of the term. Their concept of guided reading carries a lot of baggage with it, including an emphasis on matching kids to text by reading levels, uh, minimization of explicit and planful instruction, and an emphasis on three queuing systems. If those were the hallmarks of guided reading, then your state would be on the mark in trying to get rid of it. However, the term guided reading is now more than a century old, and the concept the term has been used to describe is much more specific and sensible than the F&P version. I think if we go with its more widely used meaning, it's a concept well worth preserving. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean that guided reading in practice is always a good thing. <laughs> no, I admit, uh, many teachers uh, use it badly. But I'd rather see your state providing guidance to teachers on how to implement guided reading well in their classrooms than in banning or discouraging the practice. What is guided reading? Well, the term refers to the group reading of a text under the guidance or direction of a teacher or a group leader. The group reading of a text under the guidance or direction of a teacher or a group leader. Now, most often, this guidance takes the form of a series of questions asked by the leader. Guided reading experiences, as such, provide readers with social opportunities to practice their reading comprehension, as well as to gain knowledge from the text being read. Now, originally, guided reading was an adult education practice. Benjamin Franklin, for instance, created a successful guided reading group, the Junto, in the 18th century. This was a tool of self-education used by Franklin and his leather apron buddies. These were all working men. They'd read books communally and then discuss their content and value. 
Franklin even provided the group with a list of questions that could be used to guide the reading discussions. So it wasn't just a bunch of friends getting together to read books. They were, they were really trying to self-educate. Now, it wasn't until the 1920s that guided reading formally became a part of the daily practice of American elementary schools. That was when Basel Reader publishers began providing lesson plans for the selections included in their textbooks. Teachers were to convene instructional groups that would read the selections together and then talk about them by answering the teacher's questions. Guided reading. They used the term guided reading at that time. These kinds of communal reading experiences have a long history in education at all levels and in many cultures. It's hard to imagine teaching someone to read without including this kind of guided or directed reading practice. Of course, there are a variety of versions of guided reading. <laughs> in the U.S., especially in modern times, it's not unusual for kids to be encouraged to develop varied interpretations of the shared reading stories. While in some cultures, one of the purposes of guided reading is to ensure that everyone accepts an official text interpretation. I saw a lot of that in Eastern Europe after the fall of the wall in Europe. You'll see more questioning in those former cases where the teacher's going for a variety of interpretations and more leader explanation of the text in the latter. Even within American culture, there are important variations on the kinds of reading guidance provided. The teaching of comprehension strategies, for example, usually introduces those strategies within the context of guided reading lessons. The teacher demonstrates how to use the strategy, and then students try to use it with that group-read selection. Now, often in such lessons, the point is less to gain the text information and more to learn to apply the strategy, but it's guided reading. Textbook versions of guided reading have often emphasized the mastery of comprehension skills. This has been done by having teachers ask certain kinds of questions, as this supposedly would improve the student's ability to answer such questions. <laughs> now, this approach isn't particularly effective if, if the goal is to teach kids how to answer particular kinds of questions. But its failure is not due to guided reading, but to the wrong-headed idea that question answering is a generalizable or transferable skill. Now, these days, comprehension skills and strategy teaching are being criticized by those who think that that instructional time would be better used in helping kids to increase their knowledge of the world. In other words, put the emphasis on the content of the text, not on those skills that you're going to use to get to the content. However, it, it, we have to notice that these critics aren't opposed to guided reading. They're just advocating a different emphasis to the practice. That's where concepts like close reading come in, a guided reading approach that emphasizes a more thorough analysis of the text content. Not surprisingly, guided reading of text is a widely used approach to review content information in science and social classes. And that's not just true in elementary schools. That's true in uh, uh, high schools and colleges as well. Personally, some form of guided reading of shared text would be a centerpiece of my reading comprehension instruction if I were back in the classroom. And that kind of instruction would also be accompanied by strong instructional efforts to build word knowledge, including phonics, morphology, and vocabulary work, oral reading fluency instruction, 
and writing and spelling instruction and activity. We'd, we'd have all of those going on, but definitely for the reading comprehension part, guided reading would be a very important part of it. Now, of course, if it makes your State Department of Education happy, I'd gladly refer to guided reading as directed reading. Perhaps they'd be more comfortable with that. <laughs> you don't see many complaints about directed reading on social media. Uh, you know, directed reading is what one of the Basel Reader companies used in the 1950s to differentiate their group reading lessons from the guided reading lessons of the Dick and Jane readers. No, a rose by any other name. Well, you know. I don't want to put too fine a point on this, but I guess I'm saying that I think your state would be making a mistake to discourage guided reading. The next practice they say to be avoided uh, is the use of leveled readers. This one makes me nervous because I don't think anyone has written more than I have about the problems of teaching kids at their instructional level in grades 2 through 12. In other words, I've discouraged this idea of trying to level kids uh, for reading instruction. But even with that admission, I'm a little lost about how we teach kids to read without having the kids read texts. No, I get it. The mandate isn't against text. It's against leveled text. However, what texts don't have levels? What texts can't be placed upon a continuum of difficulty? Let's face it, some texts are harder than others. <laughs> yes, and some are easier, and we can measure or estimate those levels. Studies show that even decodable texts have difficulty levels. Are we going to ban those too? There are various problems with leveled texts, and I agree that we should be careful not to make those mistakes again. But the notion that schools should rid their shelves of books with levels would mean that no books would have a place in education. So what are some of those mistakes we must avoid? Well, the F&P approach to book leveling encouraged the use of so-called predictable text with the beginning readers. Predictable text repeat whole sections of text uh, to make them readable. I like candy. I like toys. I like bikes. I like swimming. Such books have value, but not for teaching reading. Research shows that such books discourage students from looking at the words. If you know that pattern, I like candy, I like toys, you just have to look at the pictures and uh, just say, I like whatever the picture is. It can be hard to learn to read if you're not looking at the words. That's why those aren't such good texts for teaching reading. The F&P level scheme didn't pay much attention to decodability, and that's a mistake too. Early reading books need to be relatively easy. And that ease should come from decodability and word repetition. Not those kinds of patterns I was talking about before, but using certain words again and again throughout a text. Individual words. Also, leveled readers have been used to ensure that students were placed in books that would be relatively easy for them to read. Books that were supposedly at the students' instructional levels. Research shows this to be a weak approach to instruction in grades 2 through 12. Not totally ineffective, that is, kids can learn from such texts, but higher reading levels can be accomplished using more challenging texts, that is, books at higher levels. Personally, I'd teach most kids reading using texts at their grade levels rather than at their so-called instructional levels. However, if the books aren't leveled, how are we going to know which ones are most appropriate for a given grade level? <laughs> leveled readers aren't the problem, so I wouldn't ban them. 
though some of the ways those leveled readers have been used need to go. The last item on this list is the informal reading inventory, the IRI. This instrument has students reading grade-level representative passages aloud, and the teacher calculates the oral reading accuracy and the student's comprehension of the passages to determine a student reading level. Historically, the IRI was used to place students in reading books. Uh, usually, this meant placing them in books out of grade level, you know, fourth graders being taught to read with second grade books. And they would do that because they would say that a text was at the student's level if the student could recognize 95% of the words accurately and could comprehend or answer, let's say, 75 to 89% of the questions about the text. Now, as I pointed out earlier, this approach hasn't panned out, uh, so testing to make such placements would not be how I would use an IRI today. I've long argued for teaching reading with grade-level texts. In my version of guided reading, the teacher would review a text prior to the group reading it. She would try to identify text features that may block student reading success things like the words that the students might have trouble decoding, or unknown word meanings, or literary devices, complex syntax, subtle cohesive ties that she thinks the student might miss, or unusual text structure, knowledge gaps, and so on. Her guidance should then both make visible the problems her students had, and I would do that by asking kids questions about what they read see if they were comprehending it, to see if they got tripped up by what I thought was going to be a problem for them. And I would provide those students with tools for successfully dealing with those barriers. Examples of this kind of support would include things like showing students how to use context to figure out a key word meaning, or how to break down a complicated key sentence so that it can be comprehended. Tools the students could use with other texts that they read. The benefits to having informal reading inventory estimates of student reading levels is that it informs the teacher as to who's likely to need the most help and how much help might be necessary. If I'm teaching a group of fourth graders with a fourth grade book, it would be useful to me to know that half the group was reading at a second grade level. I'll need to provide more support to a group like that than I would with a group in which most of the kids are reading at a third or fourth grade level. I'd schedule the time differently in those cases. Perhaps I'd have the students read shorter portions of text before we'd get into those discussions. And I might be on the lookout for different kinds of barriers in those situations. I, if the kids are that far behind, I might expect more decoding errors than, than some of those other interpretive errors that, that might be there. Perhaps I'd have the kids do more oral reading fluency work in that, that case where the kids are that far behind. Your state's approach here reminds me of, of lists of vegetables to avoid serving children, since kids don't like vegetables. <laughs> I'd rather have suggestions of ways to prepare those vegetables so that even finicky kids might enjoy them. Skip the cream spinach. It's too much like baby food, but spinach and strawberry salad can be a hit among the preschool set. The problem with discouraging the use of guided reading, leveled books, and informal reading inventories is that it ignores the pedagogical value of those tools. It focuses teacher attention on tool avoidance, trying to look like somebody thinks they should look, rather than on how to deliver effective teaching. Personally, I'd make use of all those tools in my instruction. Please pass the spinach. 
Thank you for being with us today. This blog entry can be found at Shanahan on Literacy if you want a printed version of this. And it is the blog entry for November 4th, 2023. Uh, I'd like to thank our sound engineer, Greg Johnson, and I'd certainly like to thank you for joining us today. I look forward to seeing you up the road to peace. Thanks so much.